Hey guys, sorry, I don't mean to go all FDR on you or anything, but here's the new deal. All the interviews are now going up first at scotthortonshow.substack.com. Of course, they'll all be going up at scotthorton.org the next day, and the archives going back to 1999 will still be free for you there at scotthorton.org. But I got to generate revenue, you know. All right, y'all, welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of antiwar.com, author of the book Fool's Aaron, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there. And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. All right, you guys, on the line, I've got Matt Taibbi, of course, from Substack, taibbi.substack.com, where he's got a lot of great things. We're starting here with Edward Snowden in the Washington Post today. Uh, Welcome back to the show, Matt. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. You write good stuff. I especially appreciate you sticking up for Ed Snowden here. But I got to tell you, if I didn't know who Ed Snowden was and I read the Washington Post about him, I might think all kinds of stuff that ain't right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that's by design, right? Uh, Yeah, but I mean, this one is special. I mean, you know, people bring up Orwell all the time. Of course, Winston Smith's job was rewriting the news. But you really mean it when you bring up George Orwell and the 1984 reference to this Washington Post story and the way that they treated the granting of citizenship by Vladimir Putin to uh, Edward Snowden last week. So I guess, first of all, give us a little bit of background on what Putin's doing there and what choice Snowden had in the matter. And then maybe we'll do this uh, Winston Smith stuff. You know, I, I so Edward Snowden accepted Russian citizenship. It's obviously no secret that he lives there. Uh, if I remember correctly, the reason that he did this has to do with the fact that he has a Russian wife, uh, and there would be complications for his children if he didn't accept the citizenship. Look, it's, it's no secret that he lives in Russia. Um, I think at this point, uh, he, how he got there is a story that people are beginning to forget, which is one of the things that I was trying to write about in, in the piece. Um, but there's a legend that is beginning to seep into coverage of the Snowden story that if he didn't, you know, sort of release the information about America's surveillance programs at Russia's behest, it certainly has, you know, a malodorous feel to it that he ended up in Russia after doing so. And so, um, so that story, when that story came out, it was it was present, essentially presented as Edward Snowden leaker accepts Russian citizenship. Yeah, well, I mean, and the whole thing really was, and this is amazing that they got away with this to the degree that they did. He was trying to get, I guess, to Ecuador, but certainly, you know, maybe to Cuba, to Latin America somewhere. That's what everybody thought. I think he had indicated that. And then he just had a layover in Russia. Too bad he didn't take a different flight. But somebody had the bright idea in the Obama government 
that, hey, let's strip him of his passport right now, then he'll be stranded in Russia. And I guess they must have calculated like the damage from his leak was done. Although we know that it's not like everything that he gave to Greenwald and the Washington Post made it online, you know, and still he had enough in his head that you would think it would be a real risk, a security risk to leave him in Russia where he could be debriefed by their intelligence services. But they decided that that it would be preferable to take that risk as long as they could make him take the public relations hit of having the word Russia next to his name for the rest of his life and have him not able to defend himself except from Moscow and in a way that makes him a traitor, even though what he did wasn't treason. He didn't just give this stuff to Greenwald, who ain't, you know, who's an American citizen and a lawyer and all these things and a journalist anyway, but he gave him to the Washington Post, to Barton Gelman. And so um, for them to get away with smearing him as a Russian traitor in that way, when they're the ones who left him stranded there and our literal president now was vice president then when they did it is pretty amazing that that's never part of the narrative. You know, it just makes him look so bad that that's where he lives now. He's got nowhere else to go, I guess. Well, and and this is one of the things that's so amazing, I think, about both the story of Snowden and Julian Assange. And if you, if you go back and look, you won't have a tough time finding uh, pictures of celebrities from the news business with their arms around each other, accepting awards for their roles in uh, either disclosing the Snowden material or some of the Assange stories. Uh, If you remember, most of the major news organizations in the West were in one way or another partners with one or both of those those guys. Uh, And you can go back and find these, you know, self-congratulatory tales uh, with headlines like, you know, Washington Post wins Pulitzer Prize for NSA spying revelations. Um, but that's all been kind of wiped clean. And, and what's amazing about this Snowden story is they, they not only touched up history in the article itself, but they did it uh, on second thought in the day of publication. Like they changed the headline, they changed some other facts um, in, in ways that, uh, in the past would have been considered, uh, probably improper unless you left a notation, which they no longer do. Yeah. And by the way, I want to recommend people, uh, this Brian McGlinchey article at his Substack, starkrealities.substack.com. It's called Snowden didn't flee to Russia. Obama trapped him there. And it is absolutely factual and great journalist, Brian McGlinchey there. I want to make sure to mention that. Um, yeah, yeah. And now, so you talk about these uh, NSA revelations. I mean, I mean, who knows what I think about what people think, but I had sort of thought that Edward J. Epstein, this lunatic at the Wall Street Journal, said that Edward Snowden is a traitor for Russia and China, and he is your enemy and he hates you, and that's why he gave all this stuff to Barton Gelman, and that everybody thought that that was stupid, and that only he believed that, and his, like, 35, uh, you know, people who took that those columns seriously, because everybody knew, on the, the face of it, was obviously the truth that this guy just thought the American people needed to know this stuff. And so he gave it to the Post and to Greenwald so that, one, he thought this guy will really be thorough, but he thought this guy's really legitimate, 
and we'll put a real stamp of legitimate journalism on this by making it a Washington Post project, which it was. And then, you know, I know you're not the world's greatest expert on this, but if, if you could just tell us off the top of your head what you remember about some of those revelations, what we found out, I mean, it's true, isn't it, that the courts ruled that the programs that he exposed were illegal. Yeah, there were a couple of different court cases. There were there were federal court cases um, that both ruled that the uh, that the NSA's programs um, exceeded the reach of what uh, they had been allowed to do under even the Patriot Act. And so the the, the argument that the intelligence services have always made um, has been that well we. We're only doing incidental data collection. We're only collecting uh, telephone numbers. We're not. We're not actively listening to anything. This is just metadata. Um, but you know, we've sub- subsequently found out that they have misused this data. That they, you know, they occasionally reach into the cookie jar, and maybe even more than occasionally they do that. Um, so the the notion that they were sort of mass collecting um, the, the phone records of everybody in the country, uh, but not looking, you know, at, at, at any individual information, not, not trying to detect any patterns in anyone, any individual's behavior. We were supposed to be reassured by that, but they, they you know, they never asked for permission from Congress to do any of this, and they rebuffed uh, overtures from oversight committees when they started asking questions about it. Yep. And so, by the way, now, some of the biggest stories, I mean, Greenwald and his team did a great job, but Barton Gelman and his guys at the Washington Post also did a great job, including publishing the black budget for the first time in history. And they didn't say, oh, gee, we shouldn't publish that. They published it like exactly what they should have done. And now, so that's the transition to this insane article very well written piece by you but it's just the reality you're describing about the way that the post covers snowden and his revelations now you'd think that barton gelman had worked for the new york times or for the dallas morning news or was the san jose mercury news that's where gary webb was from yeah you'd have thought that he was from there for the way that the post treats the article now huh it it was amazing to watch uh, this in real time it, it's it's really funny for me because when I first saw the story, I saw the original headline to the story, and this the story was written by a relatively new reporter named Mary Alushina. And this is one of the things that happens in journalism. People don't realize this, but it, but it makes sense when you think about it. Look, journalists get older, um, and they get replaced by younger people who don't necessarily remember uh, the history of even their own organizations, the ones they work for. And so the original piece was written by a newer reporter, and it it depicted Snowden in a certain light. It had a headline that was extremely suggestive. It said, uh, Putin grants citizenship to Edward Snowden, who disclosed U.S. surveillance. Um, now, if you're just reading that for the first time, that just sounds like somebody who's leaking something important. Um, and the lead to the story read... Uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin granted citizenship on Monday to Edward Snowden, 
a former security consultant who leaked information about top secret U.S. surveillance programs and is still wanted on espionage charges. So there's nothing in there that gives you any kind of indication that this was like a whistleblowing activity. Um, they later altered the story because, as it happens, there are still some people at the Post who were involved with the original co collaboration with um, with Snowden, and they ended up co-bylined on the piece, and they changed some key words. But uh, because the Wayback Machine doesn't work the way it used to, uh, it, it was very hard to find the original um, version of this article. And you know, that's kind of where we're at right now. We we don't always know when they're making changes, and sometimes the changes are significant. Yeah. Well, and in this case too, they I think you say made some changes that kind of softened their take. Then they kind of took them back, added some more, you know, harder quotes and let's make sure and let Clapper or whoever revise our previous take when we were trying to take it back a minute ago. This kind of craziness all afternoon this went on kind of thing. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And again, not to be too... Um, I don't know, uh, mo moralistic about it, but once upon a time, if you were to make a substantive change to a news article um, online, you would never think to do that and, and not put a little asterisk at the bottom of the story saying something like a previous version of the story said X. Right. Um, because it, it, it was considered... Uh, not just ethically questionable to to make changes and not and not acknowledge them, but it's also disorienting for the reader um, because you know they they may see something and then go back and read it a second time and think, "Wow, was I crazy? Did it read some other way at first? Which is what happened to me. I mean, I I read that first headline that used the word disclosed, and when I went back to look at it a second time, it, it was now replaced by exposed. So, so Snowden exposed U.S. surveillance, and I thought, wow, maybe I imagined that. They, they, they didn't say that. Um, but they did that. They, they, they eliminated a, um, a quote from somebody uh, saying uh, that Snowden had done an immense public service by exposing mass surveillance. So they put that in and took that out. Uh, and all of this happens, you know, without kind of letting you know what the what what how the history of all those tracks which again is just very disorienting for readers yeah and then so did uh i hate to even ask but did barton gelman have anything to say about this on twitter or whatever out there in journalist gossip land like hey that was my work that i did guys yeah, I, I didn't see anything that barton said obviously glenn said something you know because sure because Glenn doesn't let stuff like this go without, without comment. But uh, this is another, another weird element to the kind of modern press environment, which is that a lot of the reporters who were gung-ho in taking on the intelligence services, you know, even, even six or seven years ago, they've done a complete 180, and they're, they're either being quiet or they're or they've adopted a new direction in their careers. I don't necessarily want to name names, but there, but, but there's, there's a lot of that going on in the business. 
And so, yeah, there, there, there just, there weren't a lot of people, um, there was not a large quantity of people who, who pointing this out. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Well, and speaking of which, you're really uh, way out ahead of the pack in identifying and really listing by name and memorizing them all, uh, all of these different people from the FBI and the CIA who rule, especially TV media right now. Can you talk a little bit about that? And this is all mostly with the advent of the Russiagate hoax in 2016, right? Or nah, not really, but that's when it really like shifted into fifth gear kind of deal. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it, it's been going on for a while. Um, the I, I think you could you could say uh, that this phenomenon. I think there there was even a story about it um, in the New York Times. I think in two thousand ten, um, in uh, about the uh, you know the the proliferation of former intelligence officers in media. Now, the, the interesting thing about this is that the way um, the military and um, and intelligence people used to influence the news was that they would dominate the guest list. So they would always be in the green room. If you remember back in 2002, 2003, 2004, there were these amazing years where almost everybody you saw on television was a current or former military official. Uh, you might remember a, a couple of press watchdogs doing ridiculous counts, some, you know, to the effect of, you know, for every 250 ex-military or current or ex-military voices uh, who were interviewed on TV, there might be one peace activist somewhere in there, right? Um, and that used to be, and how even they... then it was Larry Sanders secretary or BJ Honeycutt or right where it was like, look, you guys are great and everything, but we really need somebody with a little more weight to stand in that place. You know, introducing Alan Combs for the other side of the story. Yeah, yeah it, it, exactly. It wasn't, it wasn't like, uh, it, it wasn't John Lennon on there. Let's put it that way. Right. It was, it was, it was somebody who was, uh, appropriately slavish to the, to the, to the Pentagon and deferential um, to most of their assumptions, but you know they might disagree. For instance, that uh, you know we need to invade now as opposed to six months later after inspections have took place. Like that right. was the idea. Of, that was what you would get for dissent. Um, what what's happened, however, in uh, in the meantime, is that we've had this bizarre process where actual reporters. Uh, are being replaced by former intelligence officials, so that so no longer are uh, sort of on-air talents uh, or on-air personalities and media interviewing these people. They they, they actually are these people now, um, and whether it's somebody like John Brennan or James Clapper or Michael Hayden or Frank Figliusi, you know, from the FBI, who has um, you know, some kind of arrangement as a, uh, a paid contributor arrangement where they, where they show up, you know, 20 times a year or whatever it is. It, it could also be somebody who's actually like a newsreader, uh, who comes from that world or who, who's actually like on staff, um, and now opera, uh, you know, operates in that capacity, which is just a new phenomenon in our business. Um, we used to try to keep a pretty, a pretty safe distance from um, 
from the intelligence world and and now you know they're they're making they're, there's more of them on staff than there are actual reporters in some places which is just freaky hey man you guys should all sign up for the libertarian institute's email list will porter's been putting together this great newsletter every week and all you got to do is go to the bottom of the page at libertarianinstitute.org and sign up there it's real dang good hey y'all the audiobook of my book, Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism, is finally done. Yes, of course, read by me. It's available at Audible, Amazon, Apple Books, and soon on Google Play and whatever other options there are out there. It's my history of America's war on terrorism from 1979 through today. Give it a listen and see if you agree. It's time to just come home. Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism, the audiobook. Hey guys, I've had a lot of great webmasters over the years, but the team at ExpandDesigns.com have by far been the most competent and reliable. Harley Abbott and his team have made great sites for the show and the Institute, and they keep them running well, suggesting and making improvements all along. Make a deal with ExpandDesigns.com for your new business or news site. They will take care of you. Use the promo code SCOTT and save $500. That's ExpandDesigns.com. Man, I wish I was in school so I could drop out and sign up for Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom instead. Tom has done such a great job on putting together a classical curriculum for everyone from junior high schoolers on up through the postgraduate level. And it's all very reasonably priced. Just make sure you click through from the link in the right margin at scotthorton.org. Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom. Real history. Real economics. Real education. Yeah. Now, so this gets right into the theme of your new piece from today. The news is just guesswork now, which is an important story that you're talking about in the background that I'd be happy for you to get into if you feel like it. But essentially talking about just the absolute blurring of the line and the point of view between the New York Times writers and the intelligence community on the case of the assassination of uh, Dario Dugana. And so... Um, and it's just the language that they use the whole time. You give examples of maybe the way this would have been written in a previous era and how instead it's published just straight from the point of view of the CIA kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, w once upon a time, like just to take a, an example, here's, here's a passage from, from this piece uh, that came out today, which, uh, which was called, um, let me see if I can find it. The uh, well, we'll find the title later. Anyway, the the story in the New York Times was about uh, essentially uh, it's quoting American officials saying that Ukraine was responsible for the assassination, the car bomb assassination of the nationalist Daria Dugana. And so here here's a passage from that piece. It reads, "The United States has tried carefully to avoid unnecessary escalation with Moscow throughout the conflict." in part by telling Kiev not to use American equipment or intelligence to conduct attacks inside of Russia. Now, that's reporting, right? Like, you're, you're giving the, the reader new information. So somebody, somebody is telling the New York Times that the United States has told Kiev not to use American equipment or intelligence to conduct attacks inside of Russia. So normally, as a reporter, you'd want some kind of attribution there. It would say something like, um, according to U.S. officials or according to sources familiar with the matter, even if you want to be really vague about it, 
um, you know, we've the, the U.S. has told Kiev not to use American equipment. Instead, they just use the the kind of general author, sort of neutral narrative voice of the New York Times, which is the wet dream of every anonymous. Uh, source in, in in the world, they would, would they don't want to be quoted as saying anything. They they want the reader to think this information is coming from an independent news source. And so this this is something that that has just happened more and more in the news business. It's it's probably not noticeable to people who don't work in journalism, but uh, it's it's almost like a. Um, uh, you know the the formalization of that meme where you used to see ads that were depicted as that made to look like news articles uh except now it's happening within news articles yeah. right you're having passages that are are actually some, you know attributed to somebody but they're but the times is using its own voice almost like a favor which is really creepy now, so I'm behind on this story and how it was covered when it first happened. Did the Post and the Times seem to think the Ukrainians were behind it at first? Or they blamed it on, you know, competitive forces inside Russia, this kind of narrative or what, do you know? So they never came out and really said it. There were there was some speculation that it was a false flag attack, uh -huh. you know, um, and, you know, there, there wasn't there, there, there was never any definitive um tale about who had done it there's this character on the internet named uh Ilya Ponyamarov who's a um who's a Ukrainian he has a Twitter account that kind of went from zero to a gazillion after the invasion and he's he's close to this resistance group this Ukrainian resistance group um that I'm trying to remember what the name of it is it's uh the National Republican Army and Ponomarev claimed um, responsibility for them at the time. Uh, but, you know, they never really got into it, and the story just sort of went away, which is what makes this this new story unusual. It's like, why, why would the U.S. want to bring this up? Why would they want to remind everybody that this, A, that this happened, and that B, that Ukraine did it? It's just very confusing. Yeah, it Especially in the New York Times, as you put it in here somewhere too, this mess of reporters that they handed it to, they wanted to make a major story out of this. And then it's not really clear that it's directed toward truly admonishing the Ukrainian leadership. They could have just done that with a phone call. So you highlight where there's one paragraph where maybe this is the real hidden meaning of the article is... Yeah, by the way, we can reach out and touch you inside Moscow and you know it. And that that was really the point of the whole article that they buried in there, you know? Yeah, there's just some there's this uh, am amazing language, right? Because they uh, throughout the piece, they reiterate over and over again that the United States uh, took no part in this, that they would have been opposed to it had they known about it ahead of time, that they had admonished Ukrainian leadership. Uh, for doing it, um, that they didn't know which parts of the Ukrainian government were responsible. Uh, and then there's this paragraph where it says, the killing of Ms. Dugana, however, would be one of the boldest operations to date, showing Ukraine can get very close to, pl to prominent Russians. So this is like straight out of Godfather Part Two. you know, that scene where, uh, you know, Michael Corleone says, uh, if there's one thing that history teaches us is that anybody can be assassinated, 
I mean, that might be the real message of the piece. It's just not clear. Uh, and what's odd about it is that journalists used to try to help us a little bit understand what the messages of uh, a leak um, is supposed to be. Instead, they just kind of put this out there and we're not really meant to know what to make of it. Yeah. Hey, I wish I had said at your intro here that you wrote this brilliant book, Hate, Inc., which has, what, I don't know, eight or ten great chapters on all these great angles on media, understanding and dissection and criticism here about all these great topics. And now, so uh, one of the things that's going on, well, a couple of things going on at the same time here is uh, in the last week here is you guys beef with YouTube over a video that you made about election controversies. And <laughs> this is huge by itself, but it's also indicative of a huge problem about discourse on something as important as YouTube, which, you know, it has the traffic because it sort of promises to be open access to everyone. And then, boy, it sure ain't. And then we also have uh, another form of censorship in the form of Katie Halper's suppression and firing from the Hill. And I'm going to interview her next week. So <laughs> we don't have to spend too, too much time on that. But at least I'd like you to, you know, give us a brief real quick so people understand what happened with that and, and what they can expect to hear from her there. Sure. Yeah. Katie's situation is um, she, she had an arrangement to do uh, fill in uh, hosting of the Hills Rising show. And she did um, what they call a radar. It's like a, it's, it's a direct to camera monologue essay. Uh, it was pretty involved. It's like a 12 minute thing. Um, and she had done it on uh, Israel and Palestine. She was critical uh, of Israeli policy. She described it as apartheid, and she went through um, a number of you know things that people like Nelson Mandela and Desmond Tutu said. And she got fired basically for doing that editorial. Um, and, not, and not only did she get fired, they basically told her that it was because of the topic, which which is unusual. Like there are there are people who get fired for going into the wrong, um, reaching into the wrong uh, areas, but usually they don't just come out and tell you that that's the reason. Yeah, I mean, she didn't say the wrong word or any kind of thing. She says right up front, of course, that she is a progressive American Jew and has a critical take on this for obvious factual and moral reasons. And the whole thing is straight from the heart and perfect. And I guess, was it you or somebody's organization went ahead and, and reposted the video so people can find that, right? Yeah, it wasn't me. It's some, somebody, uh, I think it's Breakthrough. I, I can't remember who did it, but yes, yeah. I, it, I, I think that sounds right. Is that what it's called, Breakthrough Media? Yeah, I think that, that, that's what it is. But they, they, they put it up there. And, um, and yeah, we blogged it, it at the Institute, too. If people want to look at the blog there, you'll find it. Yeah, and you can find it. She, you know, she's she's uh, she's got her own show, too. And she's been she's been talking about it. And, and the, the Intercept uh, covered it uh, and as did a couple of other outlets. But, you know, it wasn't like it was everywhere. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's another thing about about this environment is that when people get um, censored now, or if you know there's some kind of a free speech issue, once upon a time you could expect it to kick up some dust in, in right. the business, and that's not always the case anymore. Yeah, like well, for example, did she get a story in the New York Times or Washington Post no. about her? No, of course not. No, no. 
And of course not. Yeah. Um, and, and look, I mean, you're right because you know she's high profile enough. I mean, you guys are not. You know, you guys are definitely like upper middle rank. You know, famous journalists, not in you know in like social class. I mean, like obviously you're super famous and accomplished, but um, you know. No, I mean, uh, you 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 would think it would get you, you would think it would get at least a notice from somebody, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would think that. I absolutely do think that she deserves that. That would have been written up. You know, whatever, not just business insider and whatever, but like that. No, that should have got a column in the or, a, you know, a little news brief or something in the Wall Street Journal, too. You know what I mean? That's a big deal. Yeah. And, and the the issue is is certainly controversial. You know, there there was uh, there's been kind of an unofficial omerta about that subject in the business going back, you know, uh, probably my whole lifetime, my I actually told Katie this story. I don't. I don't think I've ever said it publicly. But when I was maybe seventeen, um, uh, a, a pretty experienced TV journalist. Uh, my 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 father. I, I I knew some people in the business because my father was a TV reporter. Um, anyway, when I was starting to go into journalism myself, he, he kind of put an arm uh, an arm around my shoulder. This uh, this guy and said. Um, well, if you're going to be a journalist, I need you to know two things. And I said, and he said, one is when you, um, when you're really, really drunk before you go to bed at night, drink a liter of water. And I, and I said, okay, I'll remember that. And he goes, the other thing is never talk about Israel or Palestine. Uh, is that you, you do, do those two things and you'll have a successful career. So it, it's kind of one of those things that everybody's always sort of known that it's, it's a little bit dicey to go there. Um, but you certainly shouldn't get fired for, um, you know, for, for, for doing an editorial. I mean, that's, that's what the media is for. She, she didn't, she wasn't out of bounds. She didn't do anything, anything obscene. She, she argued her point. Yeah. And, and in fact, so. the, the subject, I'm sorry if I spaced out and you said this, um, the subject that touched it off was a sitting Congresswoman had right. said something controversial and then, so Katie was saying, actually, you know what? There's something to that that you ought to have to hear. I mean, this is why they yeah. wrote the First Amendment in the first place, you know, right there. Yeah, and, and uh, to be honest, I'm, I haven't talked to Katie about this. I didn't ask her, but I imagine that she might not have done her monologue had not uh, CNN gone out of its way to run a story quoting the defamation league calling um, Rashida Tlaib, who is the congressman, and he's semite, mm -hmm. for saying that. So, so you do get press attention if you go there, but it's usually in the form of you know condemnation. If that hadn't happened, I'm sure that she, that Katie does that editorial, and then we don't have this mess. But we right. do. Yeah. yeah. No. So that is important. Yes, because I sort of oversimplified it there, where it wasn't just that. The, you know, the congresswoman had said something and there was some criticism. It was this pretty serious hit job by Jake Tapper there that mm -hmm. Katie was directly responding to. Um, right. And then, right. of course, he would never yeah. he would never be man enough to just have her on the show then and be like, all right, then let's hear it from you. Right. Right. And, and, and this is the thing that really drives me nuts about, you know, quote unquote, liberal or, or blue state media, you know, because I used to appear on those channels all the time. And I think they used to be at least decent about 
trying to put the other point of view on if they disagreed with it. I mean, they, they weren't great, but they, they at least did it. Now it's like a non-starter. You just, you will never see the other point of view, right? So if, if it's, um, you know, throughout the Russia business or somebody saying that, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders, uh, that Putin's trying to help Bernie Sanders win the election or, or yeah, you're just not going to see that other person on the other side. And um, that, that's just, I think, cowardly. And that, that's, that's, a, that's a feature of modern media that is, that is I think, really unattractive. Mm-hmm. And now, so look, this might sound trivial, but I don't think so. Uh, tell us the story about this YouTube suppression of your partner. I'm sorry, what's his name, Matt? Something? Matt, Matt Orphalia, yeah. Uh-huh. It, he does these nice montages, and this one's about the double standard of who's allowed to complain about the legitimacy of which elections and it's just standard, great, you know, sort of tongue in cheek, but just reporting. There's nothing kooky about it. There's nothing partisan about it. He's not really taking one side or the other. He's just showing a double standard coming from one group of people. And he got jerned for it. And the thing is about it, right, is, uh, I mean, you and Matt, you're going to be okay. But people get jerned off of YouTube all day long over nothing. And it ain't fair, man, the way people are treated. No. And so, so what, so what happened is, you know, he made, he made a video and as you point out, Matt's, he's very clever. He, he, what he does is he makes these montages of, of, uh, things that people said. So in this case, uh, he made a montage of people saying that the election of Donald Trump was illegitimate and that, or that the election was stolen um, or that the the election had been hacked. Uh, the point being that this is the kind of thing that you can get, um, you know, ha- have your content moderated for now if you say it in the other direction. If you say the 2020 election was illegitimate, if you say Joe Biden is not our real president, if you say the the 2020 vote, um, you know, was sabotaged or whatever it is, you know, you'll you'll be taken off um, social media pretty quickly. And all Matt was trying to say is, uh, look, we've been over this ground before, and they're pretty selective about when they decide to enforce those rules. Um, they they have very clear rules that you cannot impugn the integrity of what they what they say. The, the terminology they use is any past U.S. election, um, but they allow it. So, so he puts this montage together of people saying this, and they demonetize that video. Um, there are actually two of them. They demonetize them both. One of them they restored after I bitched about it, but the other one they they have not yet. So, um, and the, and as you say, this is he, he wasn't inventing any of this stuff. He was just taking clips of people saying things on the news um, and stringing them together. But the context was apparently offensive. So yeah. they, they, they dinged him for it. Well, and look, a few more like that and you're done, right? You're kicked off of YouTube forever or something. Yeah, yeah. And there, there's, there's that. Uh, you, you, you can get strikes. Um, also, being demonetized, uh, having anything demonetized drives your traffic down generally. And so even if you survive uh, financially when they do it, what ends up happening is you start thinking about, well, where's the line? 
and you stay way, way, way short of it because you don't want to take the risk of um, getting a strike, getting kicked off the channel, you know, having your traffic go down even more because this is your livelihood, right? And so that's how you get this this monolithic content on YouTube now. They're, I mean, they know what they're doing. They're very good at it, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Hey, you guys, I quit Twitter again. Had to to get the new book written. But I'm still lurking around a bit at my Reddit group page, r slash Scott Horton Show, so you can still find me there. But there's a catch. The Reddit group is members only. Just donate $5 per month with PayPal, Patreon, or Subscribestar, and we'll see you there. Hey, y'all, they've got great deals on weed at thehempspot.com. The Hemp Spot specializes in Delta-8 tetrahydrocannabinol instead of Delta-9, so they can send it straight to you anywhere in America. Recently, a friend moved and didn't have a guy in his new town, but then he heard about thehempspot.com on my show and was saved, figuratively and literally, because if you use the promo code SCOTT, you get 15% off every order and free shipping on any order over $100. Legal jams, bud, gummies, and the rest in your state. TheHempSpot.com. Spell V-T-H-C. You guys, my friend Mike Swanson has written such a great revisionist take on the early history of the post-World War II national security state and military-industrial complex in the Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy years. It's called The War State. I have to say, it's the most convincing case I've read that Kennedy had truly decided to end the Cold War before he was killed. In any case, I know you'll love it. The War State by Mike Swanson. You know, I troll through Reddit sometimes, and the level of unanimity that whatever the government is saying at any given time is totally right and everybody else is stupid is just amazing to see like the way that kind of consensus is enforced just through the algorithms and through the upvotes and downvotes about what we all agree. I remember seeing a thread on there about how you would have to be just an absolute stupid idiot and lunatic to believe that Hunter Biden would have left his laptop at some repair shop and that somehow there it got into the hands of the Republic. Let me get this straight. And then that's got a million upvotes. And anyone saying, are you kidding me? You think what the Russians planted it instead makes more sense? What? That doesn't even exist in the in the conversation, right? It's downvoted to oblivion and the consensus reigns completely false, completely wrong. Yeah, I and mean, I wonder how many of those million people who are upvoting are, you know, either current or, like me, former drug abusers and know absolutely for sure that it's totally possible to leave a laptop anywhere, you know, let alone at a repair shop uh, if you're if you're doing a lot of drugs like Hunter, Hunter Biden was. But, yeah, no, it, it's it's that stuff is crazy. I know the writer Walter Kern, who I do a podcast with, um, he describes social media now as, as a lathe. It's just where you, you go on there and it's like a machine for shaving your opinion in a, in a desired shape. Um, it's so far from being anything like a, a you know, a freewheeling discussion. It's, it's, it's really unfortunate. Yeah. You know, I was having a talk with Eric Garris from antiwar.com yesterday or the day before about how things used to be compared to the big change. And it was the Trotskyites, the world socialist website who did the best journalism on this. I believe you've written about what they mm -hmm. wrote about this before in the past, Matt, about how it was, you know, with the advent of the Russiagate hoax that they just absolutely screwed antiwar.com and 
then also a bunch of left-wing sites, Truth Dig and Truth Out, and I guess Common Dreams, and I'm not sure, but a lot of very legit, progressive, but very good on war type sites. And essentially they were making an example out of us because they were also, if, if I essentially remember the way it went, uh, which I think I do, um, they had really gone after the right first and the Trump supporters and the popular, you know, kind of uh, alt-right and alt-light leaders and all this during that time. And then they wanted to prove to the Republicans that they were being fair. So then they went after all of us, too, even though, you know, we're not leftists, we're libertarians, but whatever. And then we went on the chopping block and they just absolutely. I mean, when Google turns the screw on your algorithm, I mean, there goes everything. I mean, you think about the tens of thousands of articles we have at antiwar.com with the SEO keyword whatever for whatever you're looking for on any foreign policy topic over the last 25 30 years it's just absolutely incomparable and we should be on the front page of everything all the time when people are searching for that stuff and they've just pushed us way 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 down and only for telling the truth and doing the right thing they don't have us on anything where we crossed a line or you know whatever line of any legitimacy yeah and 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 it's very frustrating because i think the public doesn't notice that kind of content moderation. They know sometimes notice when somebody is removed from the internet. They they sometimes notice when um, you know an individual uh, site has been blocked or when certain kinds of words are prohibited. But the deranking process, where you know now if you go searching for something. It might be 60 or 70 entries before you get to the antiwar.com site that, you know, uses that exact your exact search terms in the headline. Um, you know, that that's a new phenomenon. I, I mean, I, when the World Socialist website did their research about all the people whose um, whose traffic had gone down after Google made this change through a thing they call Project Owl. Uh, where they decided to um, enhance something they called authority. And I called them up. I called Google up and, and said, well, what does that mean? How exactly did you tweak the algorithm? And the comparison they gave to me was, well, in the old days, if you search for baseball, you might have gotten your local Little League, and now you're going to get MLB.com. And, uh, and so what happens is, if you search for Trotsky, for instance, um, you will not get the, the world's leading Trotskyite organization, right? The world's so, World Socialist website. You'll get like a New York Times article about Trotsky. Or um, if you search anti-war, as you um, have, I'm sure have noticed, it's not your site that comes up, right? It's, it's going to be somebody else writing about the anti-war movement in a way that's probably not all that positive. Yeah, the uh, anti-war movement in Russia is making great strides. Let's all get behind them. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And Which, touche, that's fine, but still not at our expense. Yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, I think that's just messing with reality when you do that. You know, you, you're, you're, you're playing with uh, people's perceptions of what's out there because you're driving the real results of things artificially down. It's, it's, like, how, it's like having a media regulator, um, you know, who decides what gets seen and what doesn't. And we, we've never had a media regulator in this country 
um, of that sort precisely for that reason. Like we, like we didn't want to give the government the power to to pick um, which content succeeds and which doesn't. And that's what we do now. I mean, it's not the government necessarily doing it, uh, at least not directly, but it, it, it amounts to the same thing. Yeah. All right. Look, as long as I'm whining, I got one more, but it's not just personal. I mean, because I hate the IRS for personal reasons, but also for what they do to other people. So it's still indicative of other things. I know Garland Nixon, who's an anti-war leftist activist, has been treated the same way. And it's just so obvious. I mean, what can you say about it? Since the end of May, my follower count on Twitter has been hard limited at 63,000. And I was doing good. I was getting between four and 8,000 new followers every month for a year before that, something like that, whatever, going back. And then the anime, that was it. And then I complained about it and did like a big follow train on one day and that got me up to 63.3. And then now here we are in October and I'm at 63.3. And even when I had like some uh, 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 right-wing friend, uh, Tom Elliott, um, had said, had retweeted me complaining about it. And that had got me up by a few hundred. And then essentially what happens, Matt, and I quit Twitter anyway, but it's still, it's important though, sort of in its, in its way, it's important that essentially what happens is every day, my follower count goes up, follower count goes down, follower count goes up, follower count goes down, like Homer Simpson in his hospital bed. And so I get almost to 63.4. And then I go, no, to go all the way back down to 63.33 or whatever. And every single day, count goes up, count goes down. And now, look, it's five months later, four months later. I can't count well. But, um, like, what happened? And then, so I email them and I go, what's going on? And they're like, well, you're just not using hashtags effectively enough or whatever. Well, no, man, come on. I'm obviously being somehow limited, like hard limited. And there is one correlation, which was I had said something pretty bad. I don't remember exactly, but it was pretty bad about the cops at the Uvalde massacre where they mm -hmm. refused to save the children for over an hour there. The almost what 300 something cops, whatever it was who stood there and did nothing. And I had said something horrible about them and I got turned off for 12 hours, but then they turned me back on and then, but that was it. But my follower count has not gone up ever since then. And people get, you know, kicked off of Twitter and suppressed on Twitter and shadow banned and all these things. Like, it really is such an important town square for people to use. And yet it's so obviously rigged in such insane ways like this. Like, why don't they just kick me off then if that's what they're going to do? I'm not allowed to have more than 63,000. Who came up with that crap? You know? Yeah, that is, you know, you're right. It, 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 if they're going to interfere, you know, why, why go to the lengths of making it look like they're not or making it look like it's an organic phenomenon? I, I, you're far from the only person in this in this camp. I mean, I I'm actually in the same place. I mean, they've they've essentially frozen my account oh, for really? a while. And you know, I, I know that that's not what's going on. I mean, I uh, I'll do tweets sometimes that get retweeted by this person or that person, and it'll get you know ten thousand likes, and I'll get one follower out of it. I mean, come on, yeah, you know, like that. It's it's absurd. I don't. I don't get angry about it. I mean, I I haven't, but um, at the same time, like the, the the hubris of it is really irritating. Yeah, it's and look, you can't say this, so I'll say it because it is true and it's an important part of this story. You're a pretty big, big shot, man. You know, 
Yeah, this is not the same as picking on antiwar.com when you pick on the guy who was the star of Rolling Stone magazine for 20 years or whatever it was. You know, you've written these huge books. You you know all these people on a first name basis in New York City and all this crap. If they can do this to you, then they can really screw everybody like this. It's absolutely outrageous. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the uh, that's the the issue with these high profile um, decisions that they make. That is more it's it's more consequential that you can step in. Look, I. I got a lot of negative feelings about somebody like Alex Jones. I don't, I don't, I don't have terribly positive feelings about Donald Trump, but the fact that they can go in and just kind of remove these folks um, without discussion uh, means that they can do it to anybody. And what they figured out is that they, they, you know, they will do it to everybody. I mean, that, that, that's what's happening. They've, they, you know, the, the camel's nose got into the tent and then they just started, you know, sort of playing with reality everywhere. And that um, it's really ir- irritating. And I think people get really angry. I mean, they're, 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 there's more and more, I think, uh, sort of organic anger about this now because no, no one's fooled by it, are they? I don't think so. Yeah. Well, you know, I need to study really hard on libertarian solutions to this problem. I know that obviously there's alternative media sites. Uh, there's BitChute and there's Odyssey and there's Rumble and there's all these things. I don't know how easy it is for any of those to become the new standard in the way that, you know, Facebook became the standard and Twitter became the standard and Google and YouTube have become the standard. There's got to be a way to mix it up. I think really it's got to be an encrypted app that you have. There is no uh, Zuckerberg or anybody else like at the top to make these calls because it's just an app that you have. You set your own algorithm and join up a social network computer to computer without having to go through them at all. Some kind of thing, but it's got to happen because this is just intolerable at this point. Seriously. Oh, yeah. And just, and just to finish on this note, like, you know, that that's why I thought it was so notable when it came out that Jack Dorsey and Elon Musk were talking and Dorsey was saying, look, this can't it can't be a company. It's, it's got to be an open source mechanism that can't be messed with because you know it, uh, what happens is what, what we have now is you have this just sewer of content moderation decisions that that is really it's off-putting and it, it, it suppresses discussion and um and they got they got to find another way the problem is that that the landscape is so monopolized that whenever a new platform grows, it, it can be bought out like Instagram or it can be, um, it can be influenced. Like, um, what's the one I'm thinking of where Amazon and Apple teamed up to, um, parlor parlor. Yeah, exactly. Right. So whatever you think of parlor, like that's not a good thing when, when those companies have the ability to just like dictate to them how they operate. Mm -hmm. I think it was that horrible Tyler lady, something from the New York times. Yeah. Yeah. Who was saying that, um, yeah, you know, and I got to say this quiet because I don't want to give any bad guys any further ideas, but you know, the real problem is that podcasts are still unfettered. We gotta right. get Un- some feathers on those pot. I mean, and look, Apple could just turn off our whole world, couldn't they? 
They could, yeah. They they they, they could they could put us in fetters. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and you know that the the idea that we can't have any non-searchable content out there that they can use to algorithmically suppress, like that's the kind of person who would think that way is is pretty messed up in the head. But unfortunately, that's like ninety eight percent of all reporters now. So yep. um, it's really depressing. All right, listen, I got to let you go. But first, I got to tell all the people to go and look at your archive at taibi.substack.com and listen up, everybody. There's uh, the articles that we talked about today, but keep paging down because there's about a three-part series there on the Department of Justice and the absolute corruption in uh, the system of America's uh, national police forces and prosecutions now and the corruption and the disgrace of our former civil libertarian defenders and protectors who've all gone a wall on us and all this stuff it's great journalism as uh, everything from uh, matt taibbi is as you expect it to be so uh please go and look at all that too and then also this stuff about snowden and um the uh the killing of ola daria dugina however you say it there and the rest of, uh, dugina, yep. dugina there okay thank you matt really appreciate you bud no, thanks a lot, Scott. I appreciate it. Have a, and thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. The Scott Horton Show, Anti-War Radio, can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, APSradio.com, Antiwar.com, ScottHorton.org, and LibertarianInstitute.org.